The Cincinnati Reds hired a bunch of coaches and instituted a different approach to coaching hitting than they did last year. We'll look at what the Reds are doing with their hitting coach situation, and we'll look at a few new members for the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, all on today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day. You are Locked On Reds. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen of the day. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network and we are free and available on all podcasting platforms. I'm your host, Stephen Offenbaker, alongside Jeff Carr, and we have a passion for baseball. We have a passion for the Cincinnati Reds, and we have taken that passion and we have turned it into information for you. On today's podcast, Jeff and I are going to tell you about the new hires that the Cincinnati Reds announced today on the coaching staff. We'll tell you who's good, who maybe is not good, and where we think some upgrades occurred. Uh, we're also going to tell you about a couple of names that were announced today as additions to the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. A couple guys will be joining a uh, friend of the podcast, Bronson Arroyo, as the newest members of the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. But Jeff, let's start with the coaching hires because, uh, you know, it's it's some news coming out. The Reds have, have done some things that on the surface, yeah, okay, it's a coaching change. But if you dig a little bit deeper with these hires, I think that it really lends itself to the narrative that's developed over the last several years with how the Reds have been trying to overhaul the coaching staff and the way that they do things and incorporating analytics while not losing the traditional baseball guys. You know, we talked to Chris Welsh about this a couple times uh, where the Reds are seeking to find balance. And I think some of these hires that they announced are in fact trying to, to walk that rope, walk that line of balance between analytics and good old baseball guys. Yeah, and really the biggest news of all these coaching hires, there were a number of different ones about like first base coach and things like that, that you're just kind of like, okay, sure, that's fine. Obviously, the biggest needle mover is Joel McKeithen, who is hired as hitting coach. And actually, Joel McKeithen is a couple of years younger than I am. He's a 31-year-old hitting coach, his first job as a hitting coach. He spent only one year in the organization. He was an assistant last year, got promoted this year, and he will be the head of almost a hitting board of directors, if you would. It's him and two other guys. They hired uh, Terry Bradshaw. So, uh, yeah, they got, yeah, I don't know uh, about, I don't know about hiring Pittsburgh Steelers to help these guys I, play baseball. Look, at least the reds now have more super bowl rings than any other major league friend. No, I'm just kidding. That's not that Terry Bradshaw. He actually spent that's the low years. hanging, that's the low hanging fruit, Jeff, <laughs> where, you know, it's, it's just, it's right there. You have to it's at easy. least make one Bradshaw joke, right? It, it's easy. We're getting late into the week here. So it's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but no, it, it, he spent multiple years as the Royals hitting coach actually was let go from that job in May of last season, but he will be an assistant along with uh, Joel McKeithen and then also Tim Lamont is going to be another assistant hitting coach. He's going to focus more on the analytical side. So they're trying to build maybe a chorus of hitting coaches to kind of look at all angles where improvement at the plate is concerned. 
Yeah, and I like I like that you call these guys the board of directors of hitting. That's that's pretty <laughs> interesting. I, they they need to like get that put on their coffee mugs in their office or something. That's actually pretty good stuff there, Jeffrey. Here you go. Once again, free ideas to the Cincinnati Reds right here oh, on yeah. the Locked on Reds podcast. But here's Someday what I like about pants. it. I exactly. I like the fact that you've got you've got in these guys some old school baseball knowledge. You've mm-hmm. got somebody that's fairly dedicated to incorporating the analytics. And then you've got a kind you've got a guy that's in charge of overseeing it all to help to help move it forward. You know, at the major league level, you're not teaching guys to hit anymore. You're helping them to maximize their tools and you're helping them to utilize all of the things that are available to them. So in having somebody that's dedicated more to the analytics side, you're doing that. And having somebody that's a little bit more old school that can help hitters adjust on the fly, not teaching them how to hit, not teaching them how to be major leaguers. They've got that covered. They're professionals. But every once in a while, you get stuck in a rut. You need somebody with a a second set of eyes to help you break out of it. And, you know, this is one of the big things we talked about with Aristides Aquino, Jeff. He was never willing to listen to this kind of stuff. And ultimately, it it wound him up in Japan. Uh, You know, these guys are brought to the team not to – not to teach hitting. They're just right. to help process information and make necessary adjustments. So I like the way the Reds have kind of built this out with the the hitting board of directors. It's kind of like, I almost think of it too as like a, a golf driver for those of you that love to golf. Uh, there's some drivers nowadays where you can kind of like tweak a bolt in the driver and make the face more of a draw or more of a fade. By the way, that doesn't fix a slice. I've tried. But that's the point. They're not there to teach them to hit. They're there to tweak it just a little bit. How can you make it just a little bit better? Take something good and make it great. That's what these guys are for. And Nick Crawl even said that. He said having a three-coach hitting system allows us to have different perspective. And it's interesting, too, to note, Steve, in that the two guys that they brought in to join McKeithen in uh, Bradshaw and Lamont, they're both ha- they both have extensive uh, experience with hitting. I mentioned Bradshaw with the Royals, but also Lamont. He was the New York Mets hitting coordinator last season, and after spending three seasons as a minor league hitting coach in the Houston Astros organization. So you're getting some guys, um, you know, that'd be Bradshaw having been an actual hitting coach and then Lamont having experience in successful organizations and they were replacing. So obviously Alan Zinter out and then Rolando Velez was an assistant hitting coach last year. His background was in pitching, uh, so, yeah, they're yeah. at least getting guys in the right spots now. So that's good. Yeah. And, you know, and I like I like McKeithen for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. But one of the things that really jumps out to me is, you know, he's really just part of a, a, a baseball family. You know, this is a family yes. that knows baseball and that, that, you know, eats, breathes, you know, dreams about baseball you know his younger brother tim uh, is on the coaching staff for the pittsburgh pirates and he's got another brother aaron that's a catcher in the st louis system so these are guys that you know they they are all about this sport and you know i think you need guys like that around you need guys around that love this game and that have a a vested interest in moving this game forward and i think mckeithen fits that bill for sure 
And really the other thing, because there were a number of other guys that were hired to different roles that we're not really going to see as fans. We're just not going to see their effect very much. Although, uh, you know, you do have uh, a new first base coach coming in and things like that. But Jeff Pickler has moved. He was the outfield coach and the advanced scouting coach last year. He is now the infield coach taking over for what Delino DeShields was doing uh, it's interesting too. Speaking of guys out of position, he was the outfield coach last year. He played second base when he was a player. So yes, he's, he's in the right spot too. So seeing the reds, uh, getting these dudes in the right spot is it, it's what we're looking for here. They also, their new first base coach, by the way, is Colin Cowgill, um, which uh, he was a double a manager. So he, he's got some experience with the coaching thing there, but overall, it's didn't about getting the right recently, guys. Didn't he just recently retire? Wasn't he Colin Calga? I think yeah. Wasn't he a player? He was like, the past two seasons, he was a Double A manager, and I think he only. Th- I think he's only three years out of the game. I think this is another really young guy. Um, I need to go look will, him up more, but I think he's a. I think he's recently retired. This will be interesting too, Steve, because he was the Double A manager in the Seattle Mariners organization. So well, of course there's gonna, he was. <laughs> there's going to be some dudes coming up that are like, "Oh, hey, I know you." <laughs> right? <laughs> oh I, man, the Reds and the Mariners. Name a name a more dynamic duo. Oh, I'll wait. I, I'm telling you, it's Cincinnati Reds West and Cincinnati Reds East is is what we've got going here. It really yeah, is. Uh, but it, yeah. Cal, Cal Gill retired in 2016. Uh, he go. played from 2011 to 2016. So yeah, he's he's another one of these young guys, which I really like. I I like. I, it really helps bring in this, this new, new thought processes. I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, having, you know, the dusty bakers of the world still around is a bad thing. You know, they bring a lot to the table as well, but I really, I, I, I like that the reds have embraced the blending. You know, when I, when I talked to Chris about this and I can't remember if it was for one of our episodes or if it was uh, his last interview over at reds alert, but you know, he talked about the fact that when the reds went out and got Kyle Bodie, you know, they overcorrected what the problem was, which they went from completely old school and just I'm doing everything by the way my gut tells me I need to do it. And they went all the way over here with like, you know, Kyle Bodie carrying his laptop <laughs> around the practice field or whatever. And then when when that didn't quite work out, they adjusted kind of back to the middle. And I think that's the sweet spot for bringing in the old way and the new ways and getting maximum production. So I, I really like the way this is going. And, you know, I know, and I'm going to get like the, the red suck. You're a Homer. Why are you saying nice things about them stuff? <laughs> but I mean, you know, this is, this is the way you do it. You have to modernize the organization. And these are the kind of moves that make yes. small incremental changes to modernize the organization and get this team that is never going to stop telling you that it's poor and small market to be competitive because they're going to have to do that differently. And I look forward to seeing the effects on the roster this year. Uh, but I say this, Steve, the Reds added two more names to the Hall of Fame induction list this year who are going to join Bronson Arroyo. Uh, on, and one of them is the team's all-time saves leader. Danny Graves brings up an interesting take that both of us share about a particular statistic. That's coming up next. But first, today's episode is brought to you by 
Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports wagering information and uh, the kind of the kind of stuff that's going to give you a great bet. BetOnline.net has you covered for Major League Baseball. They've got great futures. Uh, I, I was just looking the other day, Steve, and I'll bring you back in here about. Uh, Jacob deGrom, uh, he's actually favored to go to the Braves. I'm pretty sure Mets fans wouldn't like that very much. However, there are also reports that the Tampa Bay Rays contacted him, and they're not even on the list. So where do you think Jacob deGrom's going to end up? First off, I think the Rays contacting him would be like if the Reds had contacted him. <laughs> Phone <laughs> call. Hey, hi, right? yeah. hi, how you doing? How's Jacob the family? Says, how you doing? Jacob yeah. says, mm, no. And well, thanks for your time. <laughs> That's how that conversation probably went. Listen, you know, I like I like these odds. I mean, it, it's interesting to me that, you know, we're talking about the Rangers. We're talking about, you know, a, a team that I mean, listen, the, the Rangers invested like a half a billion dollars in player salary over the next the next 10 years and have nothing to show for it. So yeah. for them to double down and go spend some more money and just really keep growing it out, I think that would be an interesting move. You know, obviously the Yankees and the Dodgers are in play for everything. I think it's going to be the San Diego Padres, Jeff. They are still mm. tired of being the redheaded stepchild of the National League West, and I think they are all in on doing whatever it takes to pass the Dodgers and, well, and signing yeah. and signing DeGrom. That's just another thing they can do to get past the Dodgers. So I, I think it's going to be the Padres. And that would be the great equalizer. I would think when the giants sign Aaron judge. So I, I find that interesting. I think he's going to be a Ranger. I just think that the Rangers are going to go all in um, and, and bet online accordingly has them as the second favorite. So you have, the Braves at plus 150. You got the Rangers at plus 350. You have the Padres down a little bit at plus 750. So a little bit of a value there. But I could definitely see your side of the story as well. And if you want to check out all sides of the story for your next bet, head on over to betonline.net. You can go there on your mobile device today or on your desktop and check out all of the different articles, all the different uh, podcasts, everything that they've got about your next great bet. That's Bet Online. It's where the game starts. Thanks again for making Locked On Reds your first listen today. Uh, tomorrow, we are going to come at you. There's an early uh, preview of the Zips projections. This is something that Dan Samborski does every year over at Fangraphs. He predicts the war, the wins above replacement for each position on the field for each team. <sighs> And we're going to see just how low the Reds can go because it's not looking really good on the early projections as of this moment, Steve. But I'll tell you what, let's not focus on the future for right now. Let's look back as the Reds have at two guys that they're adding to the Reds Hall of Fame induction list. They're going to join Bronson Arroyo uh, this summer. That's going to be uh, July. I was looking at this. July 15th and 16th is the induction weekend for the Reds Hall of Fame. And um, I, I tell you, and the two guys, Danny Graves is added, and also former general manager Gabe Paul, who we'll get to here in a few minutes, are going to join Bronson Arroyo on the Reds Hall of Fame stage. But you know, good for Danny Graves. The save stat, which is the reason that he got inducted, is blah. You will show some respect to the baby-faced assassin. <laughs> you hear me, Jeffrey? No, listen, I agree with you. The save stat is a invention. It was created of, for relief was, pitchers to get paid. It was. That's what it was. It's a, it's a free agent invention. That's exactly what I yeah. was going to say. It was, you know, 
a metric to be used for, you know, guys to get paid. There's some guys that made a whole career out of it that, you know, became a ridiculous unanimous induction into the hall of fame for being a good reliever. You know, it happens, uh, you know, you know, not, not taking anything away from Mariano Rivera, but I mean, it's just, it's just overrated. I just don't know how else to say it. Uh, and when you're talking about Danny Graves, now, now look, Danny Graves was a was a just fine pitcher. Uh, mm. You know, he is the Reds' all-time saves leader, as you mentioned, with 182 saves. He appeared in 465 games for the Reds, started 30 games. People forget that, I think. Started 30 <laughs> games for the Reds, 182 saves, 733 innings pitched. And, and this is the here, – here's what tells me that the saves thing is just a little extra because if you break down his numbers and you look at his Ks and walks, you know, he struck out 388 guys – he walked 239, so he was not <laughs> coming out of the one. bullpen and, and blowing guys' doors off. He just simply wasn't doing it. But I have a question for you, Jeff, okay. because, you know, <laughs> just, you know, looking through the stats line to, to do this segment, how many in his career, how many complete games does Danny Graves have as a member of the Cincinnati Reds and – of those complete games, how many of them were complete game shutouts? He started 30. What? Okay, so you're asking me. So this number has to be somewhat surprising. I think, you know, honestly, if I'm thinking of Danny Graves as a starting pitcher, any amount of complete games is surprising. So I'm going to say... And I'm only guessing on the surprising fact, not because I actually believe this, five complete games and two complete game shutouts. Okay, well, you, you give him a little bit more credit than he has. 50% of his complete games were actually shutouts. He threw two complete games in his career, and it kind of jumped out to me that he had wow. two. Because, you know, I figure a guy can stumble his way into one. Like, you know, somebody that's yeah. not, a, he can stumble his way into one. <laughs> Danny Graves had two. And one of those was a complete game shutout. I just, wow. you know, looking for a little surprising nuggets in the stats line. And that kind of especially, jumped out at me that he had a complete game uh, more than once. Especially because, like you mentioned, it's like, oh, people forget he was a starter. People want to forget that he was a starter because that was a failed experiment. He was not good <laughs> as a starting pitcher. Well, like, Danny Graves is not coming on this show now. I told you to be nice. I told you to I be nice in this agree. segment. Jesus. <laughs> I think he would. No, I. Hey, it's it's great to see him getting into the Hall of Fame here, and it does sound like we're really like just trying to crap on this. And sorry about that. That's not really meant to be the no, case. I but know. I think the stat, the save stat, I I want to know more about a pitcher other than the save stat. Mariano Rivera, outside of the save stat, was an amazing pitcher. Like the K to walk ratio, his ability to limit base runners in, in, in total, when whether you're talking hits or walks, was just phenomenal. I just, I, I don't know that we really need to celebrate saves. And I think that we have started to move away from celebrating saves as much. You're seeing relief pitchers who pitch at different points in the game be valued more guys are getting better contracts. I think of Andrew Miller, uh, at least before he fell off a cliff and performance wise and, and different things like that. So I, I think that overall we're moving past the understanding that the save made a pitcher great. There's much more to pitching than just being the guy to get the last out of the game. Right. I mean, clearly you have to be a saves guy pitching in New York with a phenomenal 
entrance music. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know, does that sound like anybody we know right now? Mm. Like maybe there's another yeah. guy brewing up there in New York, uh, Mr. Blushing Diaz Queens, and yes. his trumpets. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I said this off air and I'll, I'll, and I'll say it now to just get backlash in the comment section. Um, this, this induction, this Danny Graves induction and this, this saves thing. You know, we talked about it. Saves is a created stat. It was invented in the free agent era to get the relievers paid. But there is a segment of the Reds fan base that embraces this segment stat of baseball because, fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 grew up on this stat. You know, the Rolades Fireman of the Year <laughs> Award. You know, yeah, it it, yeah. it was that guy, and it was pushed. It was pushed by Major League Baseball. It was pushed by the agents. It was pushed by the players. You know, there's a whole segment, a whole generation that believes in this number, and I get it. And so, when you have that many people in your fan base that still kind of embrace this topic. It only just makes sense to take your franchise's all-time saves leader and put him in the the Reds Hall of Fame. Now, I think it's unfair that they're putting him in with Bronson Arroyo because if you compare and contrast those two pitchers, yeah, you know Bronson Arroyo is a much more significant pitcher in Reds history and has contributed much more to the Reds' success than Danny Graves did. So, I, I mean, I think the Reds Hall of Fame should have saved Danny Graves for a year when they're like guys, we got no one. What are we going to do? We need, <laughs> right. we, we, what do we got? And we're like, hey, saves leader, Danny Graves, get him in here. You know, I would have done I, it then. And give him a lot of credit too because he's got two all-star appearances. He has a year where he had 41 saves, the year that they stopped the whole starting pitching experiment and he went back into the bullpen. He's actually pretty good there in 2004. But just overall, I, I look at Danny Graves' career and I said it's built on the save statistic which I think baseball has moved past now. Like, I think we all know that David Bell knows Alexis Diaz is his most important reliever. That does not mean he has to pitch in the ninth inning. That is absolutely correct. All right. He's not the only guy, Danny Graves, going into the Reds Hall of Fame with our friend Bronson. Uh, the Reds also added Gabe Paul to the Reds Hall of Fame. And coming up, we're going to tell you who he is because there's probably a lot of you that don't know. And we'll tell you what his accomplishments were as a member of the Cincinnati Reds organization. We've got that coming up right after this. You can follow the podcast on all platforms, including YouTube. If this is your first time watching us on YouTube, thanks for being here. Click subscribe. Click the notification bell. That way you never miss an episode that we post and you get notified every time we go live. The lives are a, a fun event over here on YouTube. Uh, the comment section is just blowing up more and more and more every time we go live. I love it. It's my favorite part of doing the lives, uh, that interaction with you guys. So click that notification bell because I want to hear from you like we're hearing from everybody else. It is a good time. In between episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at S. Offenbaker with two Fs. You can follow Jeff at Jeff Carr, and that's with three Fs because spelling has always been very hard for him. You can also follow the show at Locked on Reds. There's no Fs in that. I remind Jeff every day. Uh, Jeff, there's a third guy, and I didn't make any Alabama jokes, so I need, I need you to recognize that while I'm picking on you, <laughs> I save the Alabama jokes for later. Uh, Gabe Paul. Who the heck is Gabe Paul? Uh, he's a <laughs> member of the Reds Hall of Fame. Well, I'll tell you this, Steve. I, I was 
kind of confounded when I heard the name as well. But there's a reason for that. He was the guy just before really the Big Red Machine even got going. He was the general manager for the Reds in the 50s and in the early 60s. And there were actually a few big moments that happened in Reds history under his watch. Gabe Paul, starting off in, in, in one of the most important things in baseball history as a whole, he presided over the Reds integration of baseball in 1954 when the Reds added Chuck Harmon and Nino Escalera to the team. So we all, we always understand and, and know that Chuck Harmon was one of the first guys to break the color barrier as a Cincinnati Red, and the general manager that presided over that was Gabe Paul. So you know, as much as the movie Forty Two celebrates uh, Branch uh, Ricky, that you know, Gabe Paul is the Reds' version of Branch Ricky in this story. Well, Gabe Paul did a couple things. Uh, you know, one of the big things that I think we should give him credit for is, you know, he was responsible for bringing in Frank Robinson. Uh, yes. And he was also responsible for keeping Frank Robinson from going to teams like the Yankees. The Yankees tried to get Robinson for a lot of years and Gabe Paul uh, was the guy that kept that from happening. Now I'm trying to look and see if he was still with the team when they traded Frank Robinson to the Orioles. I'm not finding it readily here i'm not sure if he's the guy that traded him away but i'll give him credit for being the guy that brought him in that's for sure i think he was out the door whenever that happened he also brought in a couple of other notable guys uh, a guy named tony perez uh, leo cardenas uh, pete rose gus bell jim maloney and jim o'toole so there's a you know good chunk of the big red machine there that gabe paul was responsible for bringing to cincinnati and, and and more than that too he was also able to get the reds focused on cultivating talent overseas he really looked at latin america and under his direction they established an affiliate agreement with the havana sugar kings the, over there in cuba and i know that uh it wasn't a super long agreement but to think that back in the day they had a cuban minor league affiliate that's pretty cool to see of course there was a couple of things in history that uh, made that superfluous well and uh, true i i think it'd be fair to label gabe paul as a progressive of his time you know mm -hmm. he was doing things that nobody else was doing yet and embracing things that uh baseball the establishment was still fighting tooth and nail to not embrace so you know i think just those things alone make him a great inclusion into the reds hall of fame uh you know did you know that the reds hall of fame was established in 1958 jeff i did not know that you know who uh, you know who was in charge in 1958 when the Reds Gabe Hall of Paul. Fame was Gabe Paul, he's a, he's basically the guy that helped found the Reds Hall of Fame. So you know, the his guy that inclusion, started the thing is finally correct. in the thing. He he's just a natural inclusion into the Reds Hall of Fame. And I was chuckling while you were talking because I hadn't read all of the show notes. And the next <laughs> show note here got a little something so in there. I'm just gonna let yeah. you take that one away because it so cracked me up. So Steve, obviously Gabe Paul, general manager of the Reds. He is now the fourth general manager in Reds history to be elected to the Reds Hall of Fame. Jim Bowden is not one of them. Shocking. I, I, I'm waiting for Cam to announce that they're opening a, a leather pants display with like some original <laughs> music written by Cam Miller uh, to play in the background. Uh, you know, maybe some like archival some, like, footage of like, or something. Yeah. yeah, some archival <laughs> footage of like four guys helping pull 
Jim Bowden into the leather pants, baby we, powder being dumped in. Can I, we I do like a CGI that that scene in Friends whenever Ross is trying to get his leather pants back on in the bathroom? Maybe like CGI Jim Bowden's face onto Ross. Like that I think that could perfect. work. Perfect. I, I I listen. I will I will buy a Hall of Fame membership if they do that <laughs> just to support the project. Yes, yeah, support it. But hey. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, the founder or one of the founding guys, the guy who was the general manager of the team whenever it was founded, Gabe Paul, finally going into the Hall of Fame. He's joining Danny Graves and Bronson Arroyo. The three will be inducted on the weekend of July 15th and 16th uh, coming up this next season. But you know what, Steve? I think, uh, you know, reminding people that Jim Bowden is not in the Reds Hall of Fame is a great spot to end today's podcast. Thank you, everyone, so yeah, much for he's watching. He's not coming on the show either. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you to doing today? Today's episode of the Lockdown Reds Pod. Yeah, he wasn't going to come on here anyway. Uh, <laughs> now, tomorrow, we're going to talk about some early zips projections and we're going to try and make it as much fun as we've had here today. Uh, the, the numbers are kind of low though. So we'll get into that on tomorrow's episode as we take a look at what Dan Simborski sees in this Reds roster. Thanks so much for checking us out today. Now go check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast as the biggest games, the biggest news game recaps. You're talking about everything that's going on in the world of sports will be coming to your ears and your eyes in 22 minutes or less. And that's all on the Locked On Sports Today podcast. It's just like Locked On Reds. It's free and available on all platforms. Steve, we know who's going into the Reds Hall of Fame and we know who's not in the Reds Hall of Fame. And the Reds off season is going on and we got Reds Fest coming up here this weekend. What's that all mean for you and me? Well, that means that for you and me, we are going to be at Reds Fest on Saturday. Come say hi if you are there. Oh, yeah. It means we're going to continue to watch the transactions, the rumors, the news to keep you updated on all of it. And it means that Jeff Carr is going to be creating the For the Love of Leather Pants GoFundMe to get that CGI work done at the Reds Hall of Fame so that we can support Jim Bowden. Uh, we're also going to be working hard to keep you locked on Reds every single day. Leather Pants. <laughs>